0: this is rough drafts welcome the podcast where you can mess up and we can too i'm sachi and i'm erin and together with the editors at salt and sage books we're changing the face of storytelling one rough draft at a time we're glad you're here let's get started Welcome to today's episode of Rough Drafts Welcome. As you can see, it's just me today here for a solo episode with you. For those of you watching the video, I want to acknowledge my background has changed. It's just that my closet doors are open because it smells weird in there, so we're trying to air it out. All right, so today for the podcast, I am going to be talking to you about some of my very favorite tricks, to cue my body into writing. So we're gonna call this episode Pavlov Yourself Into Creativity. The idea being that if you can set up certain cues around you, that your brain will be like, oh, it's time to write, okay, let's go, right? Um, Just in case you don't know who Pavlov is, he was a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I honestly don't know, and did not look it up before I started recording, so he was a guy and a human at that. And basically what he did is he attempted to train dogs um, and he wanted to see if you could associate different things with physiological reactions. So what he did is that every single time he would feed his dogs, uh, he would ring a bell and it got to the point where he could ring the bell and the dogs would start to salivate because they associated the sound of the ringing bell with the food that they were about to eat. So we are going to Pavlov ourselves into being more creative and maybe even more consistently creative. I really like this way of doing it because as we've discussed before, I have a spicy brain and in order for me to be able to include writing in my regular life, it needs to feel like something that is just built in, right? So I can sneak in sprints wherever I want, but if I have something that is part of my everyday routine, where I'm like, oh, well now I sit down and I write for 10 minutes, then that is a lot harder for me to a skip, right? Okay, so I'll tell you a quick story about how I was pavlov in high school. I was in a psychology class and our teacher teaching us about Pavlov um, had a certain sound that she had been playing for like the last, probably like the last month. And every time that she played that particular sound, she had um, powdered lemonade that she would have put out on our desks in advance. And she'd be like, okay, when I play this sound, I want you to, you know, put like taste some of the lemonade. And we were all very used to her experimenting on us at this point, we loved it. She was an incredible teacher. Um, But so that was the point. She had done it for like a month, right? So by the time that our thing rolled around to Pavlov, we didn't have any lemonade on our desks. And we're all like, what's happening? What's happening? And then she played the sound. She was like, how many of your mouth is just watered? And we were all like, what's going on? So that's pavlov something, right? Basically, you associate a stimulus with behavior enough times that your brain becomes conditioned to be like, oh, I understand. Okay. And for those of you who already know all this psychology, sorry. You just hope you're listening on two times speed. Alrighty. So the other thing that I want to talk about is the idea of routines versus habits. Um, This is something that has only recently come into my awareness as somebody with ADHD, that ADHD people don't actually develop habits. So we will define really quickly. Um, And I learned about a lot of this from Casey Davis. If you don't already know Casey Davis, you should go look up Casey Davis. She's pretty incredible. Um, And she's really, I like all of her stuff about, she talks a lot about accommodating your own personal needs to make life work for you. So, all right, a habit is something that you can do without thinking about it. So, from what I understand, people with neurotypical brains can just do something enough times that it becomes a habit that they then don't have to think about doing the thing. Um, for people with spicy brains, with ADHD, with autism, with any of the other broad spectrum of things, um, habits are pretty much impossible, that our brain doesn't do those. So for for instance, when I'm getting ready for bed at night, I still have to walk myself through every single step that I do for my bedtime routine, even though I've been doing basically the same bedroom routine since I was like 12. So I have, but I have to think about it every single night and there will be like consciously, right? Like I am I'm like, okay, first thing I do is I go to the bathroom. Next thing I do is I wash my hands. And sometimes I will genuinely end up at the sink and I'm washing my hands and I'm like, what is next but like I have to think about it what okay next I wash my face okay then I brush my teeth right so it's a whole like I have to think about it intentionally and so if you were to look at my um at my bathroom counter I actually have everything just out because then I can be like okay I've done that done that done that done oh haven't done that one yet so routines are really important for people with ADHD because habits don't really exist. So the more that you can cue your brain, oh, it's time to begin this routine, it's time for this particular loop of behavior to start, then the easier it is going to be for your spicy brain to keep up with things. So, for example, one of the routines that I have is when I get up in the morning, I actually have a sunshine lamp that turns on and it stays on for about five minutes And I know that if that light goes off, I need to be up by the time that light goes off. But it is an external stimulus that tells my brain, oh okay, it's time to do this thing. And I actually have it set up on a timer so that it does it automatically so I don't have to think about it. So anytime that we can set up those sorts of external cues, it's gonna really be helpful for us to integrate writing and creativity into our daily lives. So obviously I'm gonna speak a lot from the point of view of ADHD. I hope it's helpful, even if you are neurotypical. I actually thought I was neurotypical for a lot of my life and you know, then wondered why I was struggling so much. So, great diagnosis. Alrighty, so first we're gonna talk about some visual cues. Uh, these are things that are in your environment that you can see. And it's gonna take a little bit of experimentation for each thing to figure out what works best for you what is the cue that you truly cannot ignore what is the cue that like hits your body in just the right way i use a combination of all of these things that we're going to talk about but it's up to you right whatever works for you is what's going to work for you first i learned about this super cute thing called a focus toast you should just google it it's a little toast but it's a lamp and you push the little toast lever down and it lights up. It's very cute. I learned about it from the account The Centered Life on TikTok. She's an incredible ADHD creator who um, really works towards like hacking ADHD and coming up with new and really innovative ways that you can manage your ADHD and still be really productive. So the focus toast is something that she does, and I really like the idea, where she has When she sits down, part of her routine, right, is she puts on her headphones, she gets everything ready, and then she turns on the focus toast, right? And the focus toast is on. And whenever the light is on for her, that means it is time to focus and work. And then as soon as she is done with that particular, it seems like she does sprints, then she turns the focus toast off. And that is the cue to your brain, okay, we're done. You're taking a little break or whatever it is. So I think focus toast is a, a great idea, plus it's adorable. Um, i've also seen like a cute little duck lamp like that's like the ducks like laying flat and it's a lamp and you can pat its bum and it turns on very cute so some sort of a lamp or a some some kind of light that when you are being creative okay the light is on that means i'm sitting down and i'm being creative for at least five minutes or whatever Um, Another thing that you can use for a visual cue is a visual timer, especially if you're doing sprints. Visual timers can be really helpful. Um, I usually just end up with them on YouTube. Honestly, I have two monitors because I'm lucky. And um, also my husband works in tech, so I get his surplus monitors when he's done with them or when his company upgrades him. Anyway, that is neither here nor there. Speaking of ADHD. So I have the visual timer up on my second monitor so I can just kind of see it out of the corner of my eye. You can also buy um, visual timers that you can just twist. The cool thing about a visual timer is that you can just at a glance look and be like, okay, I still have this much time left. Okay, I have this much time left. Usually they're colored. So visual timers are a cool way to do it. I prefer doing them online. Um, because my children steal the things that are on my desk. So the fewer things I have on my desk, the better. So, but I have a visual timer. Um, You can also work from the same place every day. For me, this isn't super feasible to work from the same place every single day, but um, I often will work from my office here. uh, When I am able to go to a coffee shop Um, I really enjoy doing that, but I have a specific spot that I sit in if I'm writing versus if I'm there to hang out with a friend versus if I'm there to um, just grab a drink, whatever it happens to be. But I have one specific spot that is my writing spot. The only downside for this is if you ever show up and someone is in your spot, then that can kind of, that throws your brain a little. So maybe have two or three spots that you feel comfortable working in. Um, You can also do coloring Um, to move yourself towards your goal. This is also from The Centered Life. She has a bunch of principles that you can do. Um, I've adapted it and I just have a coloring book that for me, my goal when I sit down to write is to write for five minutes. So I do five minute chunks, right? Because I've trained my brain to believe we can do anything for five minutes. Five minutes isn't too big of an ask. And life around me can usually pause for about five minutes while I sit down and do what I need to do. So I have for every five minutes, that I write, I color in a little section of the coloring thing that I'm working on. Um, You can do this with word count. You can do it with how many days you've written. I mean, whatever floats your boat. I like doing um, time because I can guarantee that five minutes is gonna happen. I can't always guarantee that a thousand words is gonna happen. Uh, The other thing that you can do is to use just more light around you, some different colors. So for example, if you have like, Um, I don't have them in this room, but in one of our other rooms in the house, we have those color changing light bulbs. And I think it would be really cool to be able to like have my little digital assistant, I have a Google, but to tell it like, okay, I'm writing now. And then it starts a certain soundtrack for me and it sets the lights to a certain color. And then it puts my phone on, do not disturb, right? Something like that. That's like, okay, now we are here. And the Google can also set a timer for you. But light colors, that could be something that really works. So those are the visual cues that I have tried. Um, I've also had a candle before that I've used only for specific projects. And I like using a candle for three reasons, actually. First, because it's a visual thing. I guess four reasons. So it's visual. Uh, It's a routine where you are then lighting the candle and you're kind of ceremoniously like beginning. Um, And then also the candle has a smell, at least the ones that I chose did and it's really honestly fun to be like okay I'm starting a new project what smell would get me in the mood to write this project and then just go around and smell all the candles which is the best fun afternoon to do anyway and then you have your candle that is specific to that story and you only ever light that candle when you are writing that story and for me that's really helpful and the last thing is that um, a flickering flame is actually really incredibly helpful to move you into flow state Um, we'll talk about that in a minute, the flow state and things that you can do. So I also use a, so hang on, that's done with visual cues. So now we'll move on to sounds. Um, So a specific soundtrack, if you write with music, I know some people can't write with music that is too distracting. I personally, I love writing with music. I find it really helpful. So I have a specific soundtrack for each one of my stories that I'm working on. I really love building the soundtrack and obviously this takes a little bit of advanced work but I find it really fun to do so it's an enjoyable way for me to engage with my story when I'm not actually writing. So I make a soundtrack for each of my stories and then when I play it I very intentionally do not shuffle and I always put like the main theme song or whatever for the story up at the very like it's the very first song that plays right so when i sit down i'm like okay i'm doing this song say that i have i've got my candle lit i have my focus toast going i have my headphones on and i turn on that soundtrack and i have all of my writing up on the screen what i'm ready to do right then what i do is i tell myself i do not have to write until that first song is over and because that's the theme song of the story, for me, that creates such an incredibly low demand that I'm like, sure, I'll sit here and smell my nice candle and like listen to this music that I enjoy. But by the time that like one minute hits, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really want it right now. So I find that really helpful to have it be um, just the first song, that you have one song that is your cue to like, okay, we're writing now. The funny thing about it is that, of course, you'll hear it later, like, we were in the car and it was just on shuffle, not not that specific soundtrack, but my husband's music, and we have a lot of overlap in the music that we like, and that song came on and I was like, oh, I need you to change it because I feel like I have to write right now. So these are the downsides of Pavlov and yourself, but I think they're worth it. So I I really do that, and especially if I'm having a really hard time getting into the story, sometimes I'll listen to that main song on repeat, maybe for five or six times. I don't think I've ever actually done it that many times because then it starts to feel annoying to my brain. Um, But if I'm really feeling stuck, sometimes listening to it will be helpful. And then I really love it too because then when you go back and you're doing edits later, I can re-listen to my soundtrack and be like, oh yeah, I remember the vibes of this story. I remember the tone of this story. I remember how it feels because I've connected it so cleanly with that specific music. So that for me is an incredibly effective one. Um, If you do not like listening to music while you write, um, I don't know what to tell you, good luck. Uh, I find noise canceling headphones incredibly helpful, especially if I have, if I'm around other people, sometimes writing in like, like if you just look up on YouTube, um, coffee shop white noise, I really like coffee shop white noise. There are also apps that you can find that do like a white noise in the background. Um, If you still want to use this particular technique, but music on, like music while you're writing, if that's not helpful for you. Um, Sometimes movie tracks are also really helpful, especially for me, if I'm writing a super epic scene, man, I get this soundtrack from The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe, the first one, it is such a good soundtrack, y'all. It is so good. And if I'm writing something like spooky or that I need it to be kind of tense, but a little bit like, oh tense, um, I listen to the Interstellar soundtrack. Like basically just find some Hans Zimmer and listen to Hans Zimmer. Uh, but you can find all sorts of really interesting things. And it really depends what is helpful for you, right? So find what's helpful for you. Um, one good keyword that I like for like just looking at music is lo-fi. not familiar with lo-fi welcome to a wonderful magical world lo-fi is extra nice because they will often have videos that go along with the lo-fi and usually it's just a small animation and it's just on a loop and for me it's just enough to trick my adhd into feeling like oh someone else is watching me i'm gonna work now like someone else is here doing it with me it's a body doubling it's not a spooky watching um okay Let's talk actually about external support. I'm going to go outside of my organization, but I'm going to reorganize it or it's going to bother me. Okay. So for external support, speaking of like co-working with people or body doubling. So if you're not familiar with body doubling, it's an ADHD term where you find it easier to focus on a task and easier to complete a task if another person is there with you. Uh, My son and I joke that we do yoga together and we joke that we need to body double each other in order for yoga to happen. That if it's just me doing yoga by myself, I'm kinda like, I can just do like three stretches, I'll be fine. And if it's just him doing yoga by himself, he's like, maybe I just don't even need to do it. But if we're there together, we're like, ooh, and what about this move? And ooh, and what about this? And ooh, what if we watched this video and did these stretches? And something about us together, having another person with you can be really, really helpful. So, writing uh, retreats. Oh my gosh, they're so, so helpful for actually sitting down and writing. Um, Critique partners, sprint groups, there's, there are so many different like Discord chats that are just people sprinting. If you need to find a writing, like a channel, you can always go to Twitter, AKA X. Um, Facebook has a ton of them. There are so many different groups that are really incredibly helpful with being able to do the thing that you need to do with somebody else. So I really like sprint groups. I really like sprinting with my critique partner. We mostly do it um, just via text. We'll text each other, okay, I'm gonna go for five minutes. And sometimes even being able to just check in with another person to say, okay, I wrote for five minutes and have them be like, yay, good job. Sometimes that is just enough of a little dopamine hit for my brain to be like, hmm, we like writing, right? The other thing that I have found is incredibly helpful and it is a little bit more of a commitment is something called Focus Mate. You can find a variety of these um, programs online, but in my research, Focusmate is the one that I like the very best. It is basically, you sign up for a specific slot of time and you co-work with a stranger. So you both have your cameras on, you tell each other in the beginning, this is what I'm gonna work on, okay, what are you gonna work on, amazing, let's go, and then you just work for the next however long that you've signed up for, usually I do one hour, And then you check in at the very end, how did it go? Did you get everything done that you wanted to? Awesome, it was nice working with you, right? Focusmate is so good for having it like in the calendar where I know, (laughs) this sounds so bad, I'm gonna disappoint somebody if I don't show up, so I show up. And then I've signed up to work for an entire hour, so then I work for an entire hour. Um, Sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, sometimes I'm really just not in the mood for it, but when I am needing that external push, mate sessions have been incredibly helpful for me. Alrighty, uh, let's talk about routines that you can do. We've already talked about going um, to a coffee shop. Um, I don't remember if I said it specifically, but I order a specific writing drink so that like when I'm tasting, I'm like, oh yeah, it's time to write. This is my writing beverage. Um, you can also do things like you dance for five minutes before you write or you do some yoga before you write, or you incorporate some sort of a body movement into, okay, I'm sitting down to write. Before I do that, I dance for a minute, or I only write when I'm on my um, my desk treadmill, or whatever it happens to be, or like my desk is an adjustable up-down one. So like maybe when I'm writing, I start standing up, and that it becomes these cues that you do where your environment is set up to be like, okay, now we're doing this. Uh, The other thing is if you are not familiar with the Pomodoro method, I find it incredibly helpful. I know some people don't love it, but for me it works really well. And you can modify however much time it is, but the traditional Pomodoro method is you do four 25-minute sprints with a five-minute break between each one. So the way that I write when I'm doing Pomodoro is I write for 25 minutes and I set a timer, And you can find Pomodoro timers on YouTube. I find it a little bit cumbersome to do my own like, okay, 25 minutes, okay, now five minutes. So I I just find one on YouTube. There are also apps. I really like Flat Tomato if you're on iOS. I don't know if it's on Android. So the Pomodoro method though, um, and then you take that five minute break. And I have to force myself to leave my desk for those five minutes and then come back and do it again. But something about the leaving the space for five minutes and doing something else is so helpful to my brain to be able to do that. And often, actually, I'll get into the Pomodoro method and I can usually do two sprints and then I don't need the sprints anymore and because I am in the story and I'm just gonna write until I either reach a stopping point or my world invades again and says that I need to stop. Um. So the Pomodoro, you do 25-5, 25-5. You do four of those. And then you take a 15 minute break at the end of that. So that's two hours that you can do technically one full Pomodoro round in. But, you know, people do like 10 minute, five minute Pomodoro things. You can do five and five, 20 and five. I've seen people who do like an hour and then they do five and then an hour and five. So it's whatever works for you and your attention span. Um, 25 for me is an absolute sweet spot for my own writing. But that's I know that because I've tracked all of my writing across so many years and so many months and so many days that I know that a 25-minute sprint for me is like pure gold. So if I can get that one 25-minute sprint in for the day, I've done amazing. Uh, some other things that you can do are taste cues. I have a friend who has a specific uh, flavor of gum that she keeps in her writing spots on her desk, and whenever she sits down to write, she that's part of her whole process is she puts in, like she eats some of that gum, chews on it. You can also do it with like candy or a specific drink, or you could have like a, like for example, I have Sour Patch Kids in my office because they're wonderful and I don't want to share them. So I don't normally do this one actually, um, cause I find it a little distracting for me, but I, I know somebody actually who has just like a little jar of candy that she'll fill up before. And every, I think it's, I think she does every 500 words or maybe every 100 at every interval. Um, she has a little candy, right, to reward herself for, ooh, you're still going, ooh, good job, blah, 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 right? So whatever works for you, especially if you're dealing with, like, if the dopamine of it is just not there, then you can work in treats that will help the dopamine be there. And when I say treats, it doesn't have to be, like, candy. It can be, but it doesn't have to be, right? You could just get yourself a drink that you really enjoy or some flavored water or something. Um, Okay, and last but absolutely not least is uh, to be really aware of your own emotional state going into writing. So my entire world lately has been completely taken over by a lot of people talking about the vagus nerve. And so if you aren't familiar with the vagus nerve, essentially it's a nerve that runs um, the length of, I'm pretty sure it goes from like your throat Down into your stomach. And your vagus nerve is what pulls your body into a state of rest and digest, right? So it's that calm, things are okay, I am safe, nervous system space. If your vagus nerve is not activated, then your body is running on fight or flight. And um, it's incredibly difficult to create when your nervous system is in fight or flight all the time. Um, I remember when my kids were really little and I was really just like, Hiding tooth and nail to be able to sit down at my computer without someone on my lap or someone crying or, you know, when they were, when they were little, little, um, I feel like that still happens is why I feel like I need to clarify. So, but I was constantly in a state of like, I have to sneak my writing. I have to hurry and get it done. I have to like move really quickly. I have to write as fast as I can. I have to, and all of those things that like hustle, hustle, hustle feeling. Is, uh, man, it makes me feel anxious even just saying it out loud now. The doing that with your writing makes your writing something that is stressful. And not to say that you can't do that, right? If you thrive under that, good for you. Um, but for me, it got to the point where I was like, writing is exhausting, like physically, like my body feels so tired when I'm done. And it was because I was unintentionally turning on that fight or flight stage where my body was like, oh my gosh, we have to hurry. Like we don't have time. We don't have Right. So I'd write as quickly as I can. And then I would feel so beat afterwards. So if your body is in fight or flight, absolutely. You can create however you create. And again, if you thrive on that, I'm not trying to tell you that you shouldn't. But for me, trying to create when my body is in a state of, uh, they call it arousal but like heightened arousal right like where my nervous system is really pinging where i don't feel like that safe and centered calmness that i feel when i'm like when my vagus nerve is activated um i really try hard to get my body into a safe space before i write because then the writing the pressure of it for me decreases immensely so for me it's been a really important part of my whole writing routine to find like really soft things to keep in my office. Like I have my slippers and like just things that will remind your body, oh, we're safe. It's okay. We can be calm. Um, I have a big fuzzy blanket. You might actually be able to see it behind me. Um, Smells can help with that. Um, And you can also look up somatic exercises. And I have been really surprised by how much I have found those things like deeply helpful to calm my body down. I do one every day that's like an ear pulling trick. I'll describe it really quickly. So you just you have your ear and you're going to pull down on your earlobe and you just hold it until you yawn. And then you do the same thing with the side of your ear and you just hold it until you yawn, and then up at the top, hold it until you yawn. Another and you do that on both ears. Another trick that I have learned is um you can do this like lying down, you can do it sitting at whatever, is that you keep your face, your head very still, and you move your eyes from side to side and you just hold. So you just look to one side until you yawn and then look to the other side until you yawn. And if you want to go like the full circle with your eyeballs, rock on, but like side to side and then up and then down are something about it is just a really incredible like biohack that tells your body like, oh, we're safe. And the, the thing with yawning, the way, that I, the way that I think about it anyway, is that your body has to feel safe enough to be able to fall asleep, right? So if you're yawning, then you're being like, oh, actually, we are in a safe space. Okay. Um, I've heard people say, too, that like you might burp, your stomach might rumble, um, and those are all really normal. It's just this like, okay, we're calming down. Okay, so those are all the somatic tricks. And then i want to teach you one more thing that I've learned about entering flow state, right? It's this elusive thing where all of the outside distractions fall away. So when I'm writing, right, I have my candle and I look at the flame and I have my music going, right? And I have my stuff all set up. So I'm primed. And then what I do is I keep my forward vision on my little candle flame. You can do it at whatever. I just like the candle, it's really pretty but then you focus on what is happening in your peripheral vision. So all you're trying to do is you keep your eyes steady and you just look at the outside of your peripheral vision and you just kind of hold that and just bring like gentle awareness to what's happening on the edges of your vision. And if you find yourself like glancing, then reset and do it again. And that's fine. Um, that, I don't know why it works. I learned that from, A hypnotherapist named Juliette Abodo, she's amazing. If you want anything about like hypnotizing yourself into being more creative or using hypnosis in order to like heal yourself or access things, she is so cool. It's Abodo, A-B-O-D-O, Juliette Abodo. She's she's amazing. You should look her up. So that eyeball trick of entering flow state um, is also really helpful. I don't fully understand why it works, but I know it does. So, okay. Those are all of the different things that I have done or presently do in order to Pavlov myself into being a little bit more creative and a way that I approach writing to try and integrate it more into my everyday life. So yeah, go Pavlov yourselves. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, See you at the next episode. This has been rough drafts welcome thank you so much for listening got any questions we would love to hear them got a complaint we'll hear it too yep leave us a five-star review pretty please and thank you and if you want to book with salt and sage books or learn anything else about what we do or if you want to work with us or take our courses or blah 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 you can find us at www.saltandsagebooks.com, and we're all over social media too we sure are and we'll see you next time bye Bye.